0: This morning, we are going to be looking at a very familiar passage. This is known, if you're new to church, let me explain. this you probably if you look at your Bible, there's a subtitle to your text this morning um, in your Bible. It's called the Great Commission. This is a very familiar text. but I think it's very important for us today to revisit this text for many reasons. And so before we jump into the text, I want to just walk through a couple of reasons why I think, that this is a very important text for us to look at this morning. The first reason is that I believe we need to be renewed once again in purpose. It is very easy for us. We live in a world where everyone's issue has become the most important. We are hearing all over the place what the church needs to be about, what the church should be about, what the church should not be about. And I think what we need to do is pause and listen to our Savior speak. This is what you're supposed to be about. Jesus is going to tell us very clearly in Matthew 28 what the church is supposed to spend their energy on. And many people around the world have given their life for it. The early apostles gave their life for it. And I want us to be renewed and encouraged and energized once again for what we're called to do in our world. The second reason I believe this is an important text once again for us to go back to is to return to the basics. I think it's a time in the Christian journey that we live in, in this city, to return once again to what's basic of our faith. We need to get back to the heart of the Christian mission. We need to get back to what's important. We hear all the time, again, going back to what I said earlier, the new thing. What's new? What's the... We try to spin it a new way and make it sound great. It is just basic. And Jesus gave us a very simple, clear message. Today, what I love about this text, there is no confusion. He is very clear what we are supposed to be after. The next reason why I believe this is an important text for us is our response to our world. I would bet that most of you have opened a newspaper this week or turned on the news, and you may have thought, which is okay, what are we going to do in our world? Like, what is going on? I have probably said it. Jesus is telling you what you are to do and how to respond to the world. He's giving you a mission in this text to say, this is what I'm calling you to do in our world today. The next, the last reason why I think this is important is that we need to reject ingrownness in the church. It is very easy for us to huddle up in a Christian bubble where it's safe and secure and say, good luck to the world. And just get closed in and look inward and not focus outward. What Jesus is going to do this morning is He's going to once again lift our eyes up and say, that is the world. And I'm sending you out into that world with a purpose. It's not to huddle up. Now, I get it. We need to sometimes get in this room and be encouraged. That's why we gather. We gather in this room on Sundays to be encouraged, to be with each other, and sharpening one another, and telling each other to stay in the faith, and praying with one another. So I'm not saying we don't gather. That would be disobedience to the Word. We hear it throughout Scripture. But I believe that sometimes if we're not careful, we can become so ingrown that we lose sight for the world around us. So these are the reasons why I think this text is important. So if you will stand in honor of God's Word, we're going to start and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So let me give you a little bit of background and context this morning for our text so we can reorient ourselves. Again, we'll be back in Isaiah next week. But this is one of five different, some would say, great, quote-unquote, commission texts in the Bible. Um, If you look in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, for example, John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father sends me, so I am sending you. Luke chapter 24, he talks about the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins should go out from the apostles to all people. We see Mark 16, 15, Acts 1, 8, also written by Luke, which we see that you are to be witnesses speaking to the apostles in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So many people say that those are five, including the one we read today, great commission text in the Bible. The reason why they say that is because this happened over a period of 40 days Okay, after Jesus was resurrected, he was giving instruction to the disciples. Now, there's a lot of confusion about timing, right? It's where all of these five different occasions, two different occasions, three different occasions, there's a lot of discussion around that. I don't think that's really important for us to debate right now, but here's what's important. That every gospel author made it a point to talk about what mission Jesus sent his disciples on. It's very clear that every author of the gospels made a point in some way to talk about how we are to be sent out to all peoples with the gospel of Jesus Christ to make disciples. In some way, that was mentioned in every gospel. So, as I've learned, when you read the Bible, and it's repeated a lot of times, it's important. You need to pay attention if it's being repeated, and every gospel writer repeated this. Now, again, as I mentioned, this is 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, He spent time with his followers. He was sharing what was important to them. This is a time where you hear a lot about what Jesus is saying and less about what the disciples are saying. It's it's really his last teachings in these 40 days of this is what is important. I'm about to give you the next step in your journey and what you are supposed to be about. I kind of was thinking about this this week and I think anytime you, you find, if you could think about what profession you're in or, or where you kind of are working in in our world, and you think about an expert in your field, or maybe it's someone that, that you admire that does something in our world, like, man, they are an expert. And if you got them in a room and said, okay, tell me how to do this well, maybe you're starting a new business, and there's a guy that's an amazing entrepreneur, and you're like, okay, I've got to listen to what you have to say, chances are you wouldn't speak much you would probably say, you start talking and I'm going to write a bunch of notes. And I believe that's kind of how I felt as I was reading Jesus' ministry in these last 40 days of him. He is speaking and the disciples are listening. They are intent on what he has to say because these are their final moments with him. Now, some didn't know that there were these final moments, but this, Jesus knows their final moments. He will be with them on earth and he is giving them these instructions. I love, too, that the text also speaks from the beginning about doubt and about worship. So if you look down at the very beginning of the text, it talks about how they are gathered at this mountain, and then some worshiped him and some doubted. Now, the question is, who were were the some, right? Who were the some that were doubting? There's a lot of discussion about this. Was it some of the, disciples, the apostles that were there? Was it some that were maybe not apostles there, but kind of on the fringe listening? Was, it, was he saying some like those out there, not even here, are doubting? The text doesn't tell us. We just know that some were worshiping and some were doubting. Some were doubting what Jesus was coming to do and came to do. But what's amazing is in that doubt, Jesus speaks. So he looks and he knows that they're doubting, and in that doubt, he begins to speak who he is and what the mission is. So they, they are, some are in this world of, I don't know, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is this true? And they're still doubting, and in that doubt, it's beautiful that we have a Savior that is not afraid of our doubting. He's not afraid of our doubts. And in that doubt, he speaks a better word. And that's exactly, I believe, what Jesus does in this text. Because in the text of doubt, he speaks some specific words about who he is and what our mission is. So there's three areas of focus this morning. One is the basis of our missions. What is the basis for our missionary calling in the world? What's the foundation? What gives us the reason for why we do what we do in our world? Second is the aim of our mission. I want us to look and focus on what is the content, the very aim of what we're after when we go out into the world, and then comfort in our mission. And I want to spend the last few moments getting practical about as we apply the mission today. So let's look at our basis for our mission. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There it is. That is the basis of our mission. The basis of our mission is Jesus himself. It is him, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to him. Therefore, from this moment on, whatever is said is based on that very authority. It is not based on just some popular celebrity or some famous book. It is based on God himself. I mean, when you look at these these texts, and you see Jesus speaking, this is God himself speaking to us. It is the very God, God in flesh speaking to us. The authority of Jesus has been on display throughout his ministry up to this point, has it not? We see him healing the sick. That means he has authority over disease. He has over authority over the human body. He has been raising the dead in his ministry, so therefore he has authority over the dead. He has calmed the storm, he has authority over nature, and most importantly, Jesus died and now he's standing before them alive. He is standing before them as the risen Savior. He has risen, which means he has conquered sin and he has conquered death. So he has authority over everything in this moment. So as they're sitting there before him and he says, all authority has been given to me, then whatever comes out of his mouth next has a basis for who he is and what he says. Philippians chapter 2, Josh read it this morning in our opening prayer. Therefore, God has a highly exalted him, him being Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Paul in in Philippians chapter 2 is clearly letting us know the kind of authority Jesus has. Colossians chapter 1, also written by Paul. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. This is clear in Colossians 1 that Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is God. He is everything. He is the one for all things were created. In him all things hold together. And so this is the one that's standing with the apostles early on and demanding and commanding them, what is the mission of the church? So one author stated it this way, Jesus has the divine rights as ruler over all to give all Christians their marching orders. Do you hear that again? Jesus has the divine right as ruler over all to give all Christians their marching orders. The, but the, the reason he has that right is because he's ruler over all, and he has all authority. So whatever he says now, again, we must listen to. So we got to stop here and just acknowledge that truth and that reality, that the Savior of the world is about to say these words. Have you thought about that? Like, this is just not somebody speaking to the disciples. This is the Savior of the world who was on a cross who had no breath and is now alive. And he is standing before his disciples. So this verse also refers back, I believe, to those who were doubting. It speaks, as I said earlier, to the doubt. And and here they are doubting, and he's reminding them, you shouldn't doubt, look who I am. Look at my authority. He's speaking back to this doubt, speaking into their doubt. He's also talking, I think, believe in this this very first verse about their need. The reason it's important that he reminds them who he is is because he knows they're going to need me. They're going to need to lean on me in this mission. And so I'm going to remind them who I am. And they're not alone, which we get to comfort in a moment. But he is helpful to them to understand that they need him. So why start here in verse 18? There's no excuses for us today as we think about the mission of the church. There's no excuses because the one who has all authority has spoken to us and we are called to listen and we are called to obey. It's pretty simple. He has spoken and so we listen. The words we read next are coming from that heart, the heart of one who has authority so he has the right to command what we do in the world. This is why so many missionaries, we, we start here because this is why so many people around the world have taken the gospel and risked their lives. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. Because he has all authority, we head out into the world and we risk much, not because the message itself is special, because the one who has the message is special. The one who is king, the one who is God, the one who is author over everything is the one that gave us this mission. So therefore we go and we declare the mysteries of the gospel. That is the basis of our mission. It's not our cleverness. It's not how gifted or not gifted we are. That is not the basis. It's not our strategies or lack of strategies. The basis of our mission is Jesus himself. And that's how we head out into the world. Now we look at our aim, the aim of our mission, which is the very meaty part of this, these verses. He starts and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I want to look at some of these words that I think are very important. And this, this is laying out for us, this is our mission. Okay, first let's look at the word go. It is true that this means as you are going. It's kind of how it's summed up. But we do not need to miss the force that is behind this word. Because sometimes I think, and maybe I've been guilty of this, well, as you are going, so just kind of as you float around, and if someone comes and maybe you will share the gospel, it's like it kind of lets off the force behind, no, this is still movement. This is still intentionality. This is calling you to go and it may be across the street, and it may be to an unreached people group all over the world, but we are called to go. Sometimes we want to remove the punch behind this word, but the punch is there. We are called to go. This still takes, it takes initiation, it takes, it takes movement, it takes us being involved. Again, some may go far, some may go across the street, but it's still movement. Going also, by the way, reflects the heart of Christ does it not? God didn't wait for you to come to Him. I mean, God initiated towards you. I mean, that is the Christmas story, is it not? Emmanuel, God with us. He came. He came to us, and He was the solution. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He ran towards us, and He came in the form of a baby, and He grew up around us, and He was God in the flesh. So as you're going doesn't mean we sit back and relax because Jesus came to us, we go to the world. We head out into the brokenness. We head out to other people to declare who Christ is. So that's go. And then we see this word, make disciples. What a great, great phrase. Go make disciples. Now, this does not mean that we only go make converts to Christianity and then go, good luck. You know, that's not what this is meaning. It's, it's, a, it's a complete holistic approach to humanity. It is, we are going to go in, it includes two aspects we talk about in church, evangelism and discipleship. So what are these words? Evangelism simply means to share the good news about Jesus, to share why he came, how he came to forgive sins. So it includes evangelism, but it also includes what we call discipleship. This is helping people become more and more like Jesus. So it's that we take the gospel and as people respond in faith, then we walk with them so they become more and more like Christ. It's not just knowledge, although knowledge is important. The goal is to help people become more like Jesus and to reflect who he is in the world. Because again, this is like a multiplication of the mission. They come to faith. We help them grow up in the faith, become more like Christ, and we send them back out in the world looking like Christ. It just begins to multiply and replicate. So that's, that's the goal. The goal is as we're going, yes, it's, we're moving and we're being intentional, but we're also making disciples. And then the other word I want to spend some time on is all nations. This is really interesting. So when you look at this, this, this means more than just a border. State or country. Okay? And I want to spend some time giving you a little bit of a lesson about what this is referring to. This is really referring to ethnic linguistic groupings sharing a common language, culture, and history. And so when he is speaking to the disciples, he is helping them understand that this is going to go much more beyond Jerusalem, this is going to go to the ends of the earth and to all peoples. This is going to be for all people around the world. Think about it for a moment. Like I don't know if you think about this. I think about some of this stuff when I'm in church. But you're sitting here right now in Nashville, Tennessee. Some of you have a Bible on your lap or a Bible on your phone. And you're sitting there and you're sitting in a chair right now. And I'm just, I don't know if you know this, but Christianity didn't start in Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) It started in the Middle East and now you're sitting here, in, some of you in faith, believing in Christ with a Bible in your lap. You are a response to the Great Commission. Isn't that unbelievable to think that you're sitting in this room believing in Jesus, and you weren't even where near where it began. And you are sitting here. That is the sovereign plan of God to rescue people from all tribes, tongues, and languages. That's an unbelievable truth. And in Revelation 7-9, we get an, even a bigger picture of what this is going to look like. We get a picture of every tribe, tongue, and language around the throne, worshiping the Father. And those, every nation around the throne is every group of people. Okay, so help me. I'm going to give you a few stats. I don't normally like stats, but I think this is helpful to us. There is an area of the world known as the 1040 window. It is 10 degrees longitude and 40 degrees latitude. It's a square or a rectangle area of the world. And in that world is some of the most unreached people with the gospel. Now, let me help you with this. There's a term used, unreached people group. When we talk about ethnic groupings, right? An unreached people group means this, that of that ethnic linguistic grouping, less than 2% would be considered Christian, okay? And, and I mean, it, it's, it could be even 0%, but it has to be at least less than 2%. What they say is because of that reality, if it's less than 2%, chances are they're not reaching their own people, and they're unable to probably even think about reaching beyond their group, okay? 97% of the unreached world lives within the 1040 window. They estimate around 7,200 unreached people groups in our world today. So think about it, 7,200 people groups that do not have, they're less than 2%. There's another number, an estimated 3,180 are considered unengaged unreached people groups. Now you're like, what in the world? Missiologists like lots of words, right? But an unengaged, unreached group means they are unreached, and we know of no church, no missionary targeting those people. You think about that for a moment. I think, okay, one more stat, and then I'm going to just talk for a second. USA, you ready for this? The United States of America, if you took countries that have the most unreached people groups living in that country, the United States of America ranks in the top ten. And you think, whoa, wait a second. I mean, I've been in Nashville. There's a church on every corner. We have a lot of unreached, unengaged groups that have come out of their territory and now live in our area. We have estimated 40 unreached people groups in Nashville, Tennessee, 40. Now, I think this is important for us to understand because when we talk about unreached groups and unengaged groups, it's hard to wrap our mind around It's hard for us to wrap our mind around it, because I would imagine that that you passed well over 15 churches on the way here. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but they're not preaching the true gospel, Justin. Okay, all right, I don't know if that's true or untrue, I don't really know. But here's here's the reality, that if you walked into most of those churches, you would probably hear something about Jesus, Him dying on the cross, Him raising from the dead, most likely, and, and how to place faith in Him. And you could go to Barnes & Noble today and go to a Christian book section, and now there may be some bad books in there, but there's probably some really good books that teach you about Jesus. In these unengaged groups, that's not even on their radar. It's not even close to on their radar. And we have 40 living in our own city. So what do we do with these kind of stats and this understanding of what He's called us to? I was with the elders the other night, and one of them said, Whew, things like this is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I'd say, yeah, it is overwhelming. But Acts chapter 17 talks about how in God's sovereignty, He determines their borders and their boundaries and where they're going to live. And what's beautiful about this, if we believe that God is in control and He is sovereign, like if, if that's something you really believe, then in His sovereignty, the state of the world that I just mentioned is in his sovereign control. It's not overwhelming to him. He's not looking and going, "Huh, what do I do? Now, I do that, but he does not do that. And he doesn't look at the 40 groups at Nashville and go, whoops, made a mistake on that one. Should have not come. No, no, no. They're here. And what are we going to do? Are we going to steward this reality? Are we actually going to steward the reality that there are people in our midst that have little to no access to the gospel? Will we befriend them, get to know them, get to know what their food is like, and actually engage them in a friendship and share the gospel with them? So we need to steward this reality in our world. Now, some of you may never go cross-culturally, and that's okay, but you have neighbors and you have people that need to hear the gospel. And more and more in this country, we're getting people that do not understand the gospel. I, I remember there, there's someone at this church. He grew up in East Tennessee. okay, East Tennessee. He never heard a clear explanation of the gospel until he was well into college. And He didn't grow up in another country. He was, grew up here. And he had little to no access to the gospel himself. So we have a responsibility. So we see... We see clearly the basis of our mission, the aim of our mission, but then we also see comfort in our mission. So verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' compassion is amazing. I don't know, as we've been walking through the book of Isaiah, if you've been listening closely, but I'm amazed God always reminds me. God is great in this way. That Sometimes I always thought the Old Testament was just this God who was always mad at us and always just destroying us and just like, I can't stand you. But we read the book of Isaiah and we clearly see judgment, 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 but hope and grace and compassion. I mean, he was opening the door, say, come, and grace is here. And Jesus right here, he, he knows that this is an overwhelming task. And what does he say? I am with you always to the very end of the age. So where do we need him? When you think about this mission and, and the the massive nature of what we're called to do in the world, and you go, but but Justin, I'm weak. Like I have my own problems. Like I, I'm not a perfect Christian. I don't have all the answers. What's Jesus saying to you? I'm with you to the very end of the age. And some of you maybe now feel lonely in the mission. We live in a world where, where we are going to be thought of as weird, and you would actually believe that this is true. Like, we're going to be on the outskirts, and, and it's going to get lonely in the mission. And, and in that loneliness, we need to hear Jesus say, I am with you. I am with you to the very end of the age. I'm going to be walking with you. And then we're going to enter into hardship. Life is going to be hard. One of my kids, when they were early on in their faith journey, I looked at them and said, okay, just to let you know, this is about to get worse. Do you understand that? Huh? Like, but the church loves me. they, They do. But in the world, it's going to get hard. Well, that just sounds negative. We need to be positive. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Jesus said it's going to get hard. And so in this hardship, in this suffering, in this persecution, we need to hear Jesus say, I am with you. I am with you to the very end of the age. So to wrap up our time, I want to get practical about what it means for us to be on mission and a few things that that are helpful to me. Hopefully they'll be helpful to you. So as we think about our basis for mission, our aim and mission as we think about our comfort, His comfort to us in our mission. The first thing is this, is we need to become global-minded Christians. I, yeah, I would say this. I believe that it is an attribute of the Father. He is a global-hearted God. I, you can't read the, the Bible without clearly seeing that he is a God of the nations, and he has a heart set on the nations. Even in the Old Testament, you see highlight after highlight. You see when he calls Abraham, and when it was Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis, he's saying, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. So he has a heart on the nations. You, even the book of Daniel is beautiful. The great story, we've all heard it, of the fiery furnace when they get out of the fiery furnace, what does the king do? He sends a letter to the surrounding nation saying, this God we need to pay attention to. So, so God in his sovereign plan, even, even when people of Israel were all over the map, literally, he was calling the nations to himself. God is a global God and he has a global heart. And I believe we should too. I, I believe we should. And you're like, well, does that mean I have to go overseas? No, it does not mean that. It might mean that for some of you. I pray to that end that we would have more of our young people say, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to the, to the ends of the earth to declare the gospel. But for those that are going to stay here, I think we still have our eyes on the nations, praying for the nations, praying for people that don't know, you, know Him. So we need to have We need to have a global mind about us that when we turn the news on and we see what's going on in our world, we seek to pray for those that don't know Christ. The second thing is we need to go. We need to listen to the words of Jesus and we need to go. We need to go both here and we need to go there. We need to go locally and we need to go globally. We need to take the gospel into our world. One of my highlights over the summer was when we heard the students come back from Germany. I mean, they stood right here, and they were talking about how they made Christ known in Germany. That's beautiful to me. And They were planting seeds of the gospel. They were teenagers. And they encouraged my soul to go, we need to keep our eyes focused on our world, and we need to keep our eyes focused for one reason, to make Christ known. The second thing we can do is not just go, but we can send. We can pray. We can go to imb.org. imb.org has all these amazing prayer resources that you can begin to pray as an individual, as a family, for people groups all over the world. And then you can give. In our, in our church, we do not talk about, if you've been here a while, we don't talk about money much. We talk about it when the Bible talks about it. We talk about it when we have an expanding in our building and we talk about it when it's Grace Missions. So here it is. I would encourage you to consider giving to Grace Missions. I'm really excited when I get to work with the elders and I look down a list of all of these people that we give to, organizations, individuals, that are doing this very thing that we're reading. They are going into all of the world to make Him known. And some of them are in very hard places. And they're they're taking the gospel with them. So let's, let's close here by talking about this idea that we would return once again to this mission. I I don't know where you're at in this journey. Some of you may be brand new. Some of you may not even be Christians in this room. And you're sitting here and you're going, okay, I'm not even a Christian, so what about me? Well, repent and join us. (laughs) Repent, believe in Christ, and join us in this mission. And I believe for some of us in this room... I'm hoping it will be a refocus on what's important. This is what we are to be about in the world. This is primary concern number one. I may be just too simple. Maybe I'm naive. But I look at a broken world and I am confident of the solution. That sounds arrogant and really prideful. The solution is Christ. That is the solution. I can do a lot of other things in this world, and I can do a lot of talking, but the thing that's going to transform hearts is not me persuading them to some thought about biblical worldview. It is about helping them see that they've got to be reconciled to a holy God. And if they're not reconciled to a holy God, everything else doesn't mean anything. And so we've got to go take that, and you have the gospel. So taking that into the world. I want to leave us with a quote from Spurgeon. I loved, I love, didn't know Spurgeon was so passionate about missions until this week, and he is extremely passionate about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. He says this, If there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, It is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. So Spurgeon is saying the one thing we don't lose sight of is the need for the gospel to go to a broken world. That, I am praying, is the heartbeat of Grace Community Church, and it's the heartbeat of you that as you head out into this world and you interact, you know their deepest need is Christ. May we return to this and may we repent if we've put anything above this as most important. Let's pray.